Back to Schneider Arena in Providence, Rhode Island on the campus of Providence College. The score at the end of two periods of play. Merrimack leading 15th ranked Providence by the score of 1 to nothing. This is Mike Macknick alongside John Leahy and tonight's second intermission is brought to you by Merrimack Graduate Studies. At Merrimack you can earn your master's degree in as little as one year. Choose from graduate programs in business, education, engineering, health sciences, criminology and so much more. Visit merrimack.edu backslash graduate today for all the details. Joining us here is Mike McMahon from the macreport.com, college hockey news, neutralzone.net, and the Eagle Tribune. And boy, Mike, uh, with uh, the Warriors out shooting Providence here uh, on the road in the second period by a count of 14-5, to getting a goal from Chase Greesock and really just limiting the chances uh, of Providence uh, on the offensive side of things, especially their uh, high scorers, Jack Dugan and Tice Thompson. That might have been one of the better periods of the year played by Merrimack. Absolutely, yeah. And it was coming off a first period where they, they struggled a little bit. Uh, granted, Providence's shot margin that they had in the first was kind of aided by two power plays. A lot of those shots, I don't know the box in front of me, but I feel like a lot of those shots in the first period for Providence came in the power play. Uh, they just got two of them marked here. But it felt like that second one especially, it felt like it was a lot of action around the net. Uh, really, Merrimack's possession control in that period really had nothing to do with the power play. I mean, the goal did, but the goal came 30 seconds into the power play, so most of that period was them controlling the pace of play uh, at even strength, which is impressive. Uh, we'll have a chance to talk, I think. Uh, you at the last two games as well? Uh, yes, yep. All right, so we'll have a chance to talk a lot about the season, you know, knowing that it's going to come to an end next Thursday, you know, talking about, you know, what's happened this year and uh, setting up, I guess, suppose, to you know, get to next year and so on, but uh, a lot of news this week in college hockey, so we do want to take an opportunity to talk in particular. Uh, Hockey East named the new commissioner this week, uh, Steve Metcalf named. Uh, he has been the deputy AD, if I recall correctly, uh, that's it. Uh, yeah. yep. Yep. Uh, at UNH, and uh, is named now as the new commissioner to take over next season uh, at Hockey East. So, uh, your thoughts, first of all, on uh, Steve Metcalf being named as commissioner? Well, there's a lot of experience there. I mean, he just chaired, I think he still is the chair of the NCAA Men's Ice Hockey Committee. I know he was a chair last year because I actually interviewed him in, uh, in where were we were the Frozen Four? Buffalo? Uh, <laughs> they all started to blend together uh, th because of a suspension. If you remember, UMass had, I think it was, was it Del Gaizo? Somebody was suspended for the national championship game for UMass, and I forget who it was, but there was a play in the, in the national semifinal where UMass had a player suspended for the championship game. Uh, it wasn't Del Gaizo. I think it was a forward, now that I think of it, but Whoever it was, uh, I remember doing. I, I talked to him uh, that that sat, that Friday because it had come out, and, and the, the NCAA ice hockey committee was the one that actually had to rule on it because it was part of the postseason. So uh, he's got a lot of experience working in the NCAA. That should be good. Obviously, being at UNH, familiar with the league, uh, I, I think that's good too. I haven't had. A, I wasn't able to get on the conference call earlier this week, and I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. But uh, everyone has their own ideas, and. I'm sure he has some new ideas on how to run things from a marketing standpoint and things like that as well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how some of those things are implemented, I, I, ideally and, and probably at least to start as early as the summer. I think that the biggest thing that he can bring, and like you said, you know, I mean, he's well-liked, well-respected really around the league as a whole. And, you know, the ability, I think, is we can certainly see
see throughout this process and some of the things that have been reported that there there are definite divisions within the conference of, of schools that would like to see certain things happen or certain things done a certain way and so on. You know, there are definite differences in that regard, and and I feel like being uh, you know, for lack of a better word, a peacemaker, you know, is something that he might be able to bring to the table. And none of the, this is meant to to say that uh, you know that Joe Patanya wasn't able to do that stuff. I certainly think that he was, but we're just talking about with the fact that Steve's going to take over. I think that that's going to be a big role, one of his big roles, as well as just the fact of you know being able to facilitate discussion and, and, and you know and, and trying to bring certain things to the table. We talked about this off the air before the game. You know, for for folks that might think that you know, for example, I you know, heard and saw a lot of questions about what does he think about overtime? What do you think about the playoff structure? All that you know, that he's not going to make that decision, right? It's the league, it's the schools that will make that decision. The athletic directors informed by their coaches. Yeah, the athletic directors have to vote on that. In fact, I think Joe Britannia has been in favor of three and three overtime for a couple of years now, uh, but the, the 80s hadn't passed it. I believe that's true. I don't, I'm not 100% sure, but uh, yeah, and I, th- I think part of it will be kind of bridging a divide between some of the schools, or at least some of the uh, some of the athletic directors. And I, I, personally speaking, I think one of the biggest issues is, and this is just my opinion, when you look back at Hockey East in the, in the early to mid-90s and even the late 80s when it was formed, all of those schools were very hockey-centric. Hockey was the number one sport at, at these schools. Uh, and when you look around the league now, it's not the case. It's still the case at some of the schools, but it's not the case at a lot of the schools. It's not the number one sport at Boston College. It really never was with, with big football and basketball. Uh, even here at Providence. Providence basketball is much bigger than Providence hockey. Uh, and, and I think really if you look around the league, uh, one way to gauge it would be how much you're paying your head coaches. You know, I, I think how, how much you're investing in your head coach is a good idea of how much you're investing into your program, right? Well, I, I think if you look at a program like, like Maine and UNH, their football coaches probably get paid more. Uh, you know, I think when you look around the league, really, right now, the schools that still have hockey as the number one primary focus, probably UMass Lowell, uh, Boston University, I think, for sure. Um, uh, for a while, I, I would say Merrimack is still in that boat for now, but you, you never know. I mean, with men's basketball playing well and football becoming a bigger deal now that they're all part of Division One, that, that some of that uh, focus, I'm sure, gets shared. So really, when you look around the league, you went from uh, UMass, for example, Football and basketball are bigger at UMass and hockey. It's just, it's just a fact of life. So I think when you look around the league, you've got uh, some schools where uh, they want to see other schools have hockey as a primary focus because hockey is their primary focus. And then you get other schools, probably you know like a Boston College and even here at Providence, where they're uh, those athletic directors saying, "Well, wait, wait a minute. You know, where we bring in 40,000 people for football, that's our primary focus. Hockey's great, but that's our primary focus. So I, I think that's where probably a lot of the division comes in. Uh, it, it just the mind." You have schools with the mindset of hockey is our number one focus. This is what we're, this is the only thing we care about. And then you get some schools in the league where hockey might be our number three on on the priority list. We teased this segment by saying we were going to solve all hockey's problems. I don't know now with five minutes to go in the intermission we're going to get through them all, but let, let, let's see how many we can get through. All right. all right, first of all, overtime. What should they do? I'll say. Um, I, I, I could live with the three on three for five minutes. Um, but I also agree with, for example, Nate Lehman, we talked with him before the game, it should be, and it needs to be consistent across all of college hockey. Yes. I, I, I'm i okay if they do it this way. First of all, shootouts stink. I hate them. Shootouts are dumb. 
uh, it's, it's not a way to settle a game. What I would like to see them do is go to a 3-on-3 overtime. However, if you're going to do that, I, I would like to see them change the way the standings are calculated completely. Make each game worth three points. You win a, win a game in regulation, you get three points. You win a game in overtime, you get two, the opponent gets one. Uh, I think that helps bridge the gap a little bit. One of my big concerns with 3-on-3 at the college level uh, is that the gap between the, the top teams and the bottom teams are huge. Whereas, uh, you know, you take the last place team in the NHL, have them play the first place team in the NHL, over ten games, that last place team is probably going to win three or four games. Uh, you take the worst team in college hockey and play the best team in college hockey and play ten times, the best team's winning ten times. So the, the divide is much bigger. So I think if you make the games worth three points, two point, uh, three points for a regulation win, two points for an overtime win with the, the losing team in overtime still getting a point, and you go three on three, I'm happy with that. All right, I'm getting a signal we need to go to break, but so the other one that I'll uh, bring up here, the uh, combination, the unbalanced schedule, which we have right now, and also the the playoff format in the situation where uh, you've got 8 out of 11 teams that make the playoffs, but for example, this season you're going to have a ninth place team miss the playoffs despite having a very good record, and depending on who it is, potentially even qualify for the national tournament. You could have a ninth place team that's like two points out of fourth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Nate Lehman again on this one and say, let's go 10. 10 out of 11. So the 10 teams get in, 6 get a bye in the first round, 7 plays 10, 8 plays 9, and then they move on to the next round in the quarterfinals. I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I, I personally think eliminating teams with an unbalanced schedule, especially with four unbalanced games, is just really hard to do. Uh, you, you see the, the, the how tight the standings are this year. you got to figure out a better way to do it. The other part we didn't talk about then is how to deal with that unbalanced schedule. Do you leave it that way then and just say we're going to modify that playoff format, or do you want to do something else? And I'm going to throw out something else here. Let's go back to two games against everybody, so we play the same number of games, but let's bring in Arizona State. You can do that. You can do that as an affiliate member. I know you and I talked before the game. The other thing you do, which might take some logistical planning from a facility standpoint, everybody plays everybody twice. That gets you to 20 games. Those last four unbalanced games are determined by what happens in those first 20 games. Every team knows out of those last four, you're hosting two, you're traveling for two, but the opponents are determined later on. So uh, I, I'd like to see something like that. And even from a planning standpoint, you could set, you could have teams plan, okay, I've got two home games scheduled for this date. We just don't know who the opponents are until a little later on once we figure out what the schedule is going to look like. I like that, thinking outside the box. Uh, good stuff, Mike. Thanks. Uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow night. All right, sounds good. Mike McMahon, our guest here. The score is Merrimack 1, Providence nothing. Back with more after this. This is Warrior Hockey.